Welcome to VPG's Virtual Water Cooler Chat Podcast, a platform that celebrates the rich tapestry of professional diversity, empowering both women and men. We aim to foster diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, DEIA, for all, while recognizing and championing the achievements of everyone as a central pillar of our journey. In our conversations, we explore a wide spectrum of backgrounds, experiences, and perspectives, creating a vibrant mosaic that enriches our collective understanding and strengthens our commitment to diversity and empowerment. Kavita Batula joined Medler Farrow Woodhouse and Mills, PLLC, as a senior associate. Kavita Batula is a biotech patent attorney who has 20 plus years of experience in top law firms and in house. She is also a certified Pilates, yoga, and cycle instructor, as well as a certified coach in integrative nutrition. Kavita is dedicated to building community, sharing experiences, overcoming fear, and breaking barriers. She is intensely passionate about health and wellness and is happiest when making whole food, plant-based meals for her friends and family. Kavita's first love is books. She is an avid reader and writer. You'll see her contributions on various blogs and soon on her own website. She is the founder and CEO of Kavi LLC, focused on bringing more love and light into the world. Hello, Kavita. Thank you so much for coming in and doing our, well, I guess January release for the VWCC Virtual Water Cooler Chat podcast episode. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I guess what you would see on the resume is um, I have a BS and a JD, and I spent my the first part of my career at two top law firms in D.C., um, then went in-house, and now I am back joining an IP law firm, and I have had quite a journey that I, I'm very much committed to mentorship and what I would call the second half of my career, and hopefully empowering the next generation of leaders to approach their professional path from a more assured and supportive place. Use three words to describe the essence of you. Driven, engaged, curious. Can you elaborate? Yes. So driven in the sense of a couple different reasons. I've always followed instructions and done what I'm supposed to do to tick all of the boxes. Um, And I started to understand that there's more to that in life. Um, So now when I use the word driven, it's not only maybe someone who is ambitious, um, but it is someone who is approaching life from a constant place of growth. There's always something new to discover, and it's not necessarily cerebral. We spend a lot of time in our head, those of us that are in the legal profession, right? It's highly analytical, um, and I think the IP profession is doubly so, right? But if we allow ourselves to tune back into our creative side of us, like when we were kids, um, there's so much potential for growth that enhances our professional sphere, but also I think makes us feel like more fulfilled human beings. So that's driven. The second one, I believe, was engaged was the word. Um, I've always been a connector and a collector. I had someone observe to me, you collect the neatest friends. Um, And I've never thought of it that way. I kind of just feel like I've been very lucky to have so many interesting people come across my path. Um, But I very much feel that I do have an ability to connect to people, to tune into them, and to interact with them in a meaningful way. Curious. Yes, I have. And I think that's 
That was something that I was always, as a child, my mom has a photograph of me climbing into the refrigerator. She's like, whenever I open the refrigerator, you always climbing in, like, as if there was something new to discover. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, as I went through my schooling, I, I lost that a little bit. But as an adult, as I kind of reconnect to the world now that school is done um, and, and the, I'm more established in my career, I feel like my head's down so much. Now I'm looking up and around me. There's so much in the world to discover. I think that's one of the reasons that we're here because, uh, Ashley, you very much are, you know, out and engaged in the community and driven and curious. I think I do follow the motto of nothing venture, nothing gained. Mm-hmm. And it's actually from one of my former, well, lay professor. He was a Harvard Law graduate. Um, he was very curious because if it were up to like my upbringing, I don't think I would do half of the stuff that I would do. Amen, sister. Right? Because it's like, you know, I asked my mom, I was like, hey, what do you want to do for like, you know, the holidays? Do you want me to like take you to like Enchanted in DC? <laughs> oh no, it's at night. I want you to drive at night. And I'm like, okay, do you want me to take you to like, no, I don't want to have uh, to trouble you on anything. I'm like, but I asked. So I think sometimes with our culture, because you are Indian. American, I am, uh-huh. And I am Chinese-American. So a lot of it, I feel like that people place so much fear in us. Not yeah. like that we don't have enough of our right, own. Right, right, right. <laughs> so now we carry other people's baggage and then trying to like break through. And I'm really grateful that I had like professors and mentors along the way mm-hmm. that basically challenged me to do things differently. Of course, like, like you said, in the, you know, litigation and, you know, when you have a profession that is primarily dominated by certain groups, historically male oriented. And then so it's now I'm so glad that there's movement that both men and women are actually part of it that actually drive diversity, equity, inclusion, and especially for, um, you know, accessibility, that type of um, effort. And I'm really, really grateful for that. I identify with that very deeply. I'm sure many of the viewers do. And yes, there's absolutely that cultural factor that's compounding. I also feel like no matter what, if you're a member of the human race, you're going to have some fear, right? Because it's a survival mechanism from an evolutionary standpoint. You always have to be on guard for like a tiger coming to eat you. Um, We don't have those anymore, but our brain is still very much wired for it. Compounded by that, I certainly felt growing up that there were, there were things that girls did and there were things that boys did. And I think as a woman, I had this fear that I took on from my own mother who was afraid to go out in the world. Just like you said, like, don't go out after dark or all. And then when you get into the professional sphere, being timid is not going to advance you. I mean, I saw, uh, to be frank, I saw men ascending much more quickly than I did. And I don't blame the institutions. I take responsibility for my unwillingness to stand in my truth and assert my belonging. I just felt like I wasn't good enough and whatever whatever I got was fine, right? It was always like that, don't rock the boat. Uh, be grateful for what you've got. And so I think that you and I are here to kind of blow the box on the lid of limitations that we've been living in for far too long. I think one of the key words that I have been actually realizing 
self-awareness is very important for like part of our growth journey. I think one of the things that is really that I've been paying attention is how much self-censoring I was doing. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to talk about yours? Maybe a little bit. Share maybe an example, or if you agree. Yeah. I mean, I I felt like I spent my life waiting for permission. Yes. Approval too. <laughs> well, that's you, right? And I, I honestly, I feel like I've let go of the need for permission. I mean, now that I'm you know closer to fifty than you know twenty. But the need for approval still resonates, and so that's one of the things I'm working on is letting go of what other people think. You know, it was Wayne Dyer who said, "What other people think of you is none of your business." And when I first heard that, I'm like, "Hmm," spoken like a white male. Um, but but no, I mean, it's it's super hard. Um, but we actually have behaviors that result from. Thoughts and beliefs that are patterned in, and we actually can change that. And as you said, the first step is self-awareness. Um, man, for me, honestly, I had to have my world kind of. There had to be consequences for staying so small and limited. Um, and some of that might have been from a professional standpoint, maybe not getting the project that I wanted, not getting to work with the client, or not getting chosen. Those are all of the things. And, you know, Marianne Williams has, has this quote that roughly is, you know, our greatest fear isn't that we aren't enough. Our greatest fear is that we are, you know, capable beyond what we can imagine. And so with that capability comes responsibility and accountability. So when you're living so small, the idea of taking that leap is absolutely terrifying. Um, but I had some personal experiences that sort of pushed me out of that net of safety um, and I was like, holy smokes, my entire world turned upside down and I had to rebuild and I had to rebuild with a different skill set if I was going to navigate this new world. Um, so that that's maybe a little bit about what started this whole revolution for me and, and my commitment to empowering other people to be able to make that shift without feeling like the bottom of the floor is going to collapse on them in order for them to actually reevaluate. Well, I'm so glad that you went there with Mary um, Williamson because that was one of the quote, you know, about like your greatness, how how we actually fear about us being great and that we play small. Um, sometimes to just sort of like not rocking the boat, and that is something that I have actually. I was talking to Dr. Anna Yusum. Mm-hmm. She's a psychiatrist, and she did one of her courses. I took that course. It's fantastic for anyone that hasn't yet. Do it. Yes. And she actually was so amazing. And I read her book for Phil. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next thing I did was like, I wonder how, whether she wants to do like a course with me that is live. And then, so we did that. And I'm like, I wonder if she wants to do it on demand. She was like, sure, let's do it. And then she was the one that talked about also how fear is false evidence appearing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I've heard not only from her, but there are other people that talk about that. And in the four years that I've been, almost four years, January <laughs> uh, 2nd will be four, four years of BPG. But in the four years that I have actually been in this entrepreneurial journey, I just found that there were so many things that happened and it almost looked, sounded like it's sort of fate for me to meet certain people. Mm-hmm. And I am not like, I am not someone that is very interested in like 
I've been in patent litigation for 20-some years. So when I've actually met other people that are more spiritual-oriented, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to go woo-woo. <laughs> yes, right? I actually um, started taking yoga in the winter just to keep warm. And I kind of felt like that level of thinking was so beyond me, and I had very little patience for it. Honestly, when I started doing yoga, I was the person that would leave in Shavasana be like, I can lay it down at home for free. Right. I need to go grocery shopping. Right. And at 10 years into the practice, I now teach it. Um, and those principles of, um, you know, Gabrielle Bernstein wrote a book called The Universe Has Your Back. And what if we approach the world with the belief that everything is happening for us versus everything that's happening to us or the belief that the universe was conspiring in our favor? I mean, those are pretty radical concepts for um, people that have grown up honestly, from a very fear-based place, um, you know, for, with, for parents that were immigrants, not having family support, um, financially things were difficult. So it's very hard to actually think that anything is working in your favor when assimilation is hard, when um, paying the bills every month is hard. So I wanted to also congratulate you on your new uh, position. Yeah. Want to talk a little bit about that and also how and what inspired you to pursue a career in patent law and how did you navigate the challenges associated with that being a minority woman in the field? Sure. Well, um, a wonderful collection of attorneys, um, Midler, Farrow, Woodhouse and Mills, we sat down and we discussed what a collaboration could look like. Um, they weren't necessarily looking for someone with my skill set, but we had mutual friends. And we all know in this community, it really can be who you know. Um, they really like my approach to leadership and teamwork. And I really like the fact that they're committed to building teams um, from a thoughtful place and to really serving clients um, by giving them time and attention and selectively choosing where their focus areas are. So I'm just super excited to enjoy, to join this group of, of warm and wonderful and intelligent and, and committed individuals. As for patent law, um, I always knew growing up, growing up that there were certain professions that were acceptable. From a young age, I showed a gift for writing. Um, and I've, I've been writing for as long as I can remember. But I was told that that was not an acceptable career pursuit. Um, it had to be a hard science. So I graduated from Maryland with a degree they called CMBG for short, which is Cell Molecular Biology and Genetics. And I actually had, for four summers, an internship at the National Institutes of Health here in Bethesda. Worked under a wonderful gentleman, lab chief, Dr. Jim Mitchell, who's still there um, and probably close to retirement. But was so committed to being a mentor to me, very much wanted me to go to medical school. Um, but I was like, that's a long road. The sight of blood makes me queasy. I didn't know what else to do. Patent law was kind of up and coming. And when I ran it by my parents, that was acceptable. I ended up doing well on my LSATs and I get getting into several good schools. So I went to the University of Pennsylvania at a time when uh, diagnostic testing was becoming, you know, huge. That eventually blew up into the Myriad case, which went to the Supreme Court. But I actually worked on the product of nature doctrine with my externship at the Center for Bioethics. Um, and so I wanted to go into biotechnology at that time, particularly you know, for therapeutics, 
Um, at the time, it was you know chemo and radiation, but and now we have individualized treatments, immunotherapy, uh, and that's that's kind of the area that I'm itching to get back to. But how to end patent law was I didn't really know any other options. Um, right place, right time, and maybe as you had said earlier, fate, universe has my back. Um, I'm just grateful for all of it. I, I thought that I would share something that is interesting uh, while you were talking. Is that you read it by your parents about what is being acceptable、uh, as a degree to actually pursue? My parents wanted me to go into accounting and business management. I said no. <laughs> so I ended up with political science and East Asian languages and cultures. That was so interesting because. It's not your stereotypical Asian American woman that would actually take that, you know. Or I wasn't sure where I actually. I think I, it might be my mentor actually, but although he did want me to go into law, and I said no to him too. <laughs> you know, I felt for years that I had to prove myself as an attorney.、Um, I thought the perception was I went to law school because I wasn't good enough to get into med school, and I wore that label. That probably self-imposed label for so long, but I do feel like I was looked down upon until I started doing very well for myself professionally, like you know, better than these people that were doctors. And suddenly, the culture that I thought was shunning me was sending their kids over to talk to me because I was doing so well, which was kind of a really weird place to be.、Um, I will say that when I started working, I was. In a practice of a bunch of white men that were in their fifties, I was the only one that didn't have a PhD. They were the most wonderful group of mentors I could have asked for.、Um, they always said to me, "So what if you don't have a PhD?" Right? They. I think this was at a time. This was in two thousand and two when I graduated law school. Where I think the billable hours maybe weren't quite as intense, and a lot of IP boutiques were getting acquired by general practice law firms, so we were still given a lot of、um, leeway with how we spent our time. And so these folks just really took me under their wing. They took me on examiner interviews and let me sit in their office so we could work on specifications together. I don't know what young attorney gets that level of attention now, but、um, I did not feel that I was disadvantaged by my. Minority status. I actually felt that I was valued, and I have to give huge props to Venable、um, because they were very much and still are committed to diversity and inclusion. That's wonderful to hear. I mean, I definitely experienced some level of discrimination、uh, growing up and through different stages of my life. And amazingly, a lot of it, the people that actually supported me and be like my mentors. Are actually men, and one of the one that I actually have like an annual lunch, holiday lunch with him. He's like,、um, you know, Greek, and then he's so amazing in terms of supporting me. But he always challenged me. He would always tells me that if you don't want to hear the truth, don't come to me. Okay, and I enjoy that. You know what you're getting, yeah. Yep. And then he was like, "If you want me to read your book, you have to be prepared for my feedback." I said, "Okay." He was like, "Well, some of the other people they never was like brave enough, so they they never follow up with him." I said, "Well, I mean, I already know what you're gonna say." But what was really really interesting is that I didn't know how much I've grown 
in mm-hmm. years, especially mm-hmm. in the last two years, because it's not easy to go run a business working with lawyers, supporting with patent practitioner who is actually like a rocket scientist, pretty much, <laughs> right? <laughs> Depending on the field and uh, and the practice, you know, you have like your electrical, your mechanical, and then you have like the biopharmer. And honestly, I am not quite sure how I actually survive because I don't have a PhD. I'm not even in hard science, right. so I wasn't quite sure how I actually managed to do all of that. Other than the fact that I'm curious and I am driven, and I'm. Like very growth oriented. I think I used to be very goal oriented. So I'm like, if I I set a goal, I would do it. So the funny story that I want to share with you is that、uh, we had a holiday lunch, and、um, my mentor was like, "Would you like to text me and said, organize your thought into a presentation and share with me what has gone on like with your company this past year?" I'm thinking like. I'm having a holiday lunch with you. Why do you make it seem like work? <laughs> In my mind, <laughs> so I was like, and I have so many things going on. And in the past, I would have totally just do it, and I would stay up until two or three a.m. because I just have to get it done. Because he had an authority figure that tells me to do something, I will do it. And I was like,、ah, nah, don't don't feel like doing it. So I text him back. I was like, ha ha, don't have time. <laughs> That's it. Didn't say anymore. Fast forward, we're at lunch. I said it two times, and he picked that up. He was like, why did you keep mentioning about that you didn't prepare the PowerPoint? Because I said you you asked me to prepare an organized presentation. He was like, that was a joke. You didn't pick that up. Joke is very culturally based. Not everyone will actually pick up the joke the same way. I think it's very culturally de- dependent. So I told him and said, "I don't know. Haha, it's all Greek to me." <laughs> so he laughed and I said, that "I also want to let you know that it was really a lot of growth for me to actually say no to you in a funny way." And he was like, "How so?" I said, "That's my boundary setting." I basically say no to you instead of being abrupt and saying that no, I don't have time for this. Right. But I just say, ha ha, don't have time. And he was like, next time I will go back. If I mean for something to be funny, I will put ha ha. I said, cause I did. <laughs> so that was actually something that I'm really, really proud of. Cause in the past, I don't think that I would have been able to do that. Oh, I would actually be very like beat myself up why I didn't comply, but now it's like ah no. Next question: Can you share a specific experience or milestone in your journey where you felt that there's a profound sense of personal and professional growth, which is leading to our episode on honor your light? You know, like you, it's not like it's easy to look to be like. When you look back on your growth, you don't realize that it's happening when it's happening. It's only retroactively, and for me, it's never linear, right? I'm reticent to pinpoint any one thing because everything we're constantly growing and learning. If I had to, like, if I was if I was someone, if I was in an exam and I had to 
you know, answer this, it would probably be my move to Minnesota. So I went there to go in-house at a startup. It was something totally different, um, totally beyond what's comfortable, right? My family, they're all government employees. They think I'm bonkers for not taking like a safe government job and having a pension and benefits and, you know, going to work for a startup, right? There's no security there. I basically did everything legal. Um, the company was a child spinoff of a parent therapeutic company in France. And so you're basically building the plane as you fly it uh, and you do what needs to be done. So as someone who's primarily been working in the patent arena, you're learning, you're writing every single kind of contract imaginable. You're dealing with things like insurance and, you know, IT support and, you know, who's going to plow, <laughs> right? When you get like, you know, I moved right the year of the polar vortex. So the personal growth was going to a completely foreign environment. And, you know, you're in the Midwest. It's a different culture too, right? Um, it's very, very cold. I mean, I was practically in Canada. Um, but then also you're at the office and you're just, you have no idea what the day is going to bring. And then trying to explain to people afterwards, like, what exactly did you do? Look, I just did whatever whatever fire needed to be put out. Um, and then as we started to hire more people, and then I started to have people underneath me and a team around me, I was really able to step more into my confidence of, okay, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is how we're structuring these, these deals, or this is how we're interacting with the C-suite and the board. And that was the change. That was a period of five years going from just tell me what to do and I'll do it to, okay, no, actually having, like you said, boundaries. Yes, boundaries are so important. I didn't have any before. We weren't allowed to. And I think that's universal for women, no matter the culture. It can be worse than some, but to any woman, I didn't know I was allowed to have feelings. I was always told I was too sensitive or don't get upset, right? You know, my main job as a child was to here, go take this plate of food to the men, right? Or wash these dishes or, you know, be quiet and, you know, make sure you've got powder on your face and, you know, that it's so incredibly image-based. And um, as a woman, the less space you take up, the more quiet you are, um, the greater your value is. And I'm speaking to my perception, right? I don't want to put this on anybody else, but there were so many times in my life where I felt it would just be convenient if I were invisible or I could disappear because I felt my value was so small. My value was in being, you know, not, not seen or heard, right? That might be another conversation for another day, but that's very much a thing. Yeah. I don't know about you, but for majority of my life until very, very recently, I have really worry so much of what other people think of me mm -hmm. versus what I think of me. Right. And that is so unhealthy. <laughs> we spend our lives getting consensus, make sure everyone else around us is approving, but we don't really think about what we want. I don't know if we're taught that that matters. I always felt like my value, I was taught that my value is based upon external validation. Am I a good daughter? Am I a good sister? Am I a good wife? Am I a good mother? Right? I had a younger brother. I felt like my sole purpose was taking care of him or doing whatever service my parents needed when they were entertaining. I, I don't, I wasn't allowed to have boundaries. I mean, I, I did what I was told. And if I asked to do something different, the answer was no. Right? Yeah, I felt like that, you know, because my dad, like, passed in 2017 he has mostly been very supportive uh but i think that so as the liberal art 
you know, graduate. My parents did not go to college. They were not uh, highly educated, but they have street smart and they work very hard as immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. So immigrants, especially you know, from their generation, they have the the sense of security comes from like income yeah, and job security and everything. So everything is secondary. Like yeah. happiness, you do not go to jobs to get happiness. They pay you. <laughs> Well, it's not even a conversation. Like, if you have if you have enough to live and you know where your next meal is coming from and you have something in the bank, what does happiness have to do with that? Anything? Happiness is not having to worry where your next meal is coming from. Yep. It's the same thing as Maslow's hierarchy. And so it's very important when we look back on our lives, we recognize that our parents did the very best they could. And they took, they enabled us to be where we are right now because they ensured that our basic needs were taken care of. Like you and I got to go to college, right? My mom got married young and arranged marriage, came to another country, didn't know the language, didn't know anybody, right? I had the choice. I got to go to school. Um, they wanted me to have an arranged marriage. I married a white guy, right? I mean, that was, you know, that was 20 plus years ago. And so that was when, you know, marrying outside of our culture was accepted, but less common. So my parents, they still let me participate in social gatherings in high school. They were progressive. Um, and I know that I'm speaking with like this hindsight bias of, you know, feeling limited growing up, but I, I certainly don't, I don't want to discredit all of the opportunities they gave me because they worked so hard. I was able to, you know, ascend. I think that is so insightful and so important to recognize because we can't really compare our experiences with our immigrant parents. Like, for example, if it weren't for them or for my grandparents, I was like reading one of the articles that I was writing how it all began. And my grandparents actually applied for 10 of us to come to the state. And at the time, it was, you know, he didn't, he, he wasn't educated. Uh, I was the first person in both maternal and paternal family that went to college and I'm a girl so that was huge you know the fact that they actually allowed me to do that and actually encouraged me to do that but I didn't have anyone else before me to set that path or set up as a role model I had no one to ask questions I have to figure it out on my own so which is why it's so important that I have some professors that actually saw things in me and I'm being like, what did you see in me? You know, the confidence was not there. We nowadays we talk about confidence. You gotta you gotta be confident showing up. It's really a mindset, not so much a behavior. So many things are. We believe that our personality I think that's old thinking that our personality is fixed. It's actually Dr. Joe Dispenza who says, you know, our personality is our personal reality, right? Our thoughts create our beliefs, our beliefs create our actions, our actions create our, our world, right? So if we can change that shift, um, you know, what if we believed in ourselves? What if we showed up at the table believing we were enough? the message that we would send out to the world and the way the world would interact with us would be completely different. I mean, to me growing up, the idea of doing something that's my own business, that's crazy talk. That's not secure. And the only way to do it is to just do it. It's to start before you're ready. It's to show up and to trust that the right people, places, and things are going to appear. And you have sought those, right? You have, you have sought mentorship. You've, you've certainly benefited from it, but, um, there's credit to you in being willing and being open, right? And I think that where is where some of that, what we, you and I would have think of as a little bit um, out there eccentric from the spiritual side of 
you know, the universe conspiring to help us. But quite honestly, if we approach the world with that as a possibility, that is where the growth. What advice would you give to aspiring minority students who are navigating the path in the legal profession but still truly honor their own identity and own light? So many people, that young people that I have talked to, I teach um, college courses and the approach is, what do I want to do with my career? Do I want to do science? Do I want to do law? Do I want to do both? Do I want to do neither? Um, or my parents want me to do this and I want to do this. But I think the best advice is to be in touch with who you are and what you want. And I think on some levels, we have to choose, right? There's a term starving artist for a reason. If you are so passionate about something that you're willing to sacrifice to make it happen, like you're willing to have a day job so you can support your passion at night, great. If school doesn't seem like the right path for you, I mean, for us, it was a foregone conclusion. I mean, I went to Maryland when I only had to pay tuition and that was like less than 5,000 a year. I know people that are sending their kids to school for 80,000 a year. So I'm perfectly supportive of someone that doesn't want to start out life massively in debt and do something, you know, as an alternative. Your question was directed specifically towards individuals that are navigating, navigating the legal field. Um, there are choices to make, you know, what do I want to do after, you know, law school? Do we, do we feel pressured to go to a law firm because we have bills to pay? There's a lot that can be done with a law degree, and it doesn't have to be a law firm. It can be, you know, service, which is the clear one. It can be a completely different um, career. To some extent, you have to know what lights you up, and then you make the decision of how much risk you're willing to take, which is, do I want to go into that profession where I don't necessarily have a steady paycheck? And decide whose life are you living? Um, if you are living a life that's prescribed by your culture or trying to make your parents happy, are you living your life or are you living someone else's life? And, you know, from where I sit, there's no judgment. You make your decisions, you own them. Because I spent the first half of my life living it to someone, else, someone else's expectations. It's only recently that I decided to make a shift. So wherever you are, no judgment, but try to just be in touch with yourself, which is kind of where that phrase honor your light comes from. Like trust that you have all of the knowledge and the wisdom and the tools within you. And from there, moving from that place will take you in the direction that you're meant to go. It's not going to be easy, but you get to decide and know that you can always readjust. Nothing is permanent. The only way you're going to learn is by making a mistake. No one gets a straight path in life. Life is full of detours, and those detours are the ones that are most meaningful because those are the ones that shape us. Well, with that, thank you so much for honoring your own light so that we can ha actually have this particular conversation today. It's such a pleasure, and I can't wait until everyone can witness you honoring your own light. Thank so, you so much for having me, Ashley. Thank you so much, Kavita. Oh, 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 oh,